welcome, welcome to Real Job Talk, the podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Hey, Liz. Hey, Kat. Kat, today we have an extraordinary guest, Oscar Trimboli, who has focused his career on helping people listen in a deeper way in order to improve their lives both in the workplace and at home. Oscar started his career in marketing and sales in the corporate world at companies like Microsoft and Polycom, and now works as a coach for executives and teams working towards his goal of creating 10 million global deep listeners. To spread his message, Oscar is also an author, podcaster, and international speaker. Today, we're going to explore the topic of deep listening with him and get some tips on how you can improve your listening skills. Welcome, Oscar. Please tell us how your career has evolved to where it is today. G'day, Liz. G'day, Kat. I'm really looking forward to listening to your questions. Yeah, my my career path was uh, decided by being born to two immigrant parents from Italy. And what that meant was we grew up in an area with lots of migrants. I had to learn to listen to different languages, even though I couldn't speak them. So I got really good at listening to body language, particularly when it came to playing card games at school. (laughs) I tell our teachers, right? And um, we might have even played those card games in classes, um, but don't tell them that either. And uh, throughout my career, I was renowned as the guy who always asked a very simple question and people got very frustrated by this question. And the question was really simple. Have we asked a customer? Mm. And it might sound really obvious, particularly if you own your own business to ask a customer. But when you're in these big intergalactic corporate behemoths, that uh, the only way you see a customer is through a PowerPoint slide or Excel graph mm-hmm. or a Word document with something called verbatim, which is a market research company records a quote that they say. And for a lot of my team, they were renowned for uh, a very simple they come and ask me a question, and nine times out of ten, my answer was, what do the customers think? So we had team meetings in contact centers. We briefed advertising agencies on customer sites by the customers. So as my journey progressed and moved into management, one of the things I was really passionate about was next generation leaders. And I got really frustrated one day at a graduate recruitment stand at a university as really high quality talent was going past the Microsoft booth and going to banking of all places. So, hey, I've got no no qualms with banking, but it's pretty boring compared to all the amazing things you can do with technology. But the problem Microsoft has as an employer brand is everybody thought you had to be a software developer to work there. But you could work in human resources, sales, marketing, law, you could work in finance, you could work in operations and customer care. So we rebuilt the graduate recruitment program, and that ended up getting taken at 26 Microsoft subsidiaries there around the world and won a number of awards. And one of the leaders I worked with, one of the vice presidents, had me in a budget meeting with 18 people, Seattle, Singapore, and Sydney, the the three S's. And it was <laughs> like the Bermuda Triangle of conflict. It was a budget mm. negotiation meeting. And at the 20-minute mark, my vice president looked across the table at me Tracy said to me, Oscar, I need to see you after this meeting. And the only thing that went through my head, Liz, was how many weeks of salary have I got in my bank account? Because when somebody says that, that's the equivalent to your wife saying, honey, we need to talk. (laughs) You know no good's going to come out of this. At the end of the meeting, Tracy actually asked me to stay behind. And I thought, oh, well, at least it's going to be a quick death. I'll be executed immediately. And she said, please sit down. And I sat down and, and she said, 
at the 20 minute mark, you completely changed the course of the way this meeting went because of the way you listen. If you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. Now, Liz, it was the most profound thing anybody's ever said to me. But Kat, you know, the only thing going through my head is, I'm not fired. It's fantastic. <laughs> I live to fight another day. Right. And, and in that moment, I learned a really valuable lesson that it's really important to have a couple of months of salary in your bank account. <laughs> and then that way you don't have that conversation. Now, the bad news is I completely forgot about that conversation until four weeks later when Brian, our chief financial officer, said, I need you to come to the budget meeting that they had in, in the Australian business and I need you to audit my listening. And I went, Brian, I'm running a billion dollars worth of revenue. We're in the last quarter of the fiscal year. We counted down 13 weeks, 12 weeks, 10 weeks. We knew how many selling days were left. And in that moment, I knew that there were only six weeks left. I said, Brian, six weeks. And we had a quirky business in Australia. 70% of our revenue came in the last three days. Mm -hmm. oh. Very public sector skewed business in our, in our marketplace. So we had to get everything lined up. I said, Brian, I haven't got time for this listening stuff. He says, come, please. I really need you in the meeting. And for the first time ever in my life, I had to code how I listened. And mm. uh, that, that kind of brings us here today. And I, I was in an interview, Kat, with someone in Atlanta a year ago, and they said to me, 10 million deep listeners sounds pretty lame as a goal. How about 100 million deep listeners? And he said even McDonald's had to open up a couple of outlets, so why don't you go and speak on some other podcasts and spread the word? So that's what brings us here today. Oh, well, we are delighted to have you here today, Oscar. Welcome. Let's start with if we could have you define deep listening for us and for our listeners so that we're all using the same language. That would be a great place to start. Yeah, so active listening teaches us how to listen to the words and deep listening teaches us to listen to what's not said. We speak at 125 words a minute, but we think at 900 words a minute. So the likelihood, the first thing that we say is what we mean. That's an 11% chance. So deep listening is listening to those other 775 words that are stuck inside people's heads. And the job of a deep listener is not to understand what the speaker is saying. I know that sounds weird that, you know, the listening guy is saying you don't really have to pay attention to the speaker. Deep listeners help the speaker make sense of what they're thinking, not make sense of what they're saying. That makes sense. So you've got a bunch of deep listeners in the room. And how do they all work together towards the goal? Like if the goal of the deep listener is to bring out the message of the others or figure out what's not said, if everyone has that wonderful skill, then what happens? Like what's the nirvana of deep listening? Well, deep listening is about reducing chaos, conflict, and confusion. If you think mm. about every project that goes off track inside an organization, every product release that goes off schedule, every employee that you recruited that you thought were going to be a rock star, but turn out to be not a rock star. Uh, all these things, the customers you lose generally going to come down to you didn't listen. You know, there's a very famous uh, piece of research from Gallup that says people don't leave organizations, they leave their managers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've all heard that. But mm -hmm. what people don't do is double click on that. And the number one reason why people 
leave their managers, they don't listen to them. Mm -hmm. They don't turn up to one-on-ones. They don't take the action Mm -hmm. from the last one-on-one. All these things get in the way. So deep listening is about getting four hours a week back in your schedule because when you're in the meeting, you actually pay attention. You know, one of my favorites is this weekly work in progress project update meeting, you know, where we all update each other and then we come back next week and, uh, Brian, where are you at with that? Oh, well, I've got this and this done. No, 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 Brian, that's not what we asked you to do. Last week it was this. Oh, sorry, I wasn't listening. So you waste a week. You not only waste Brian's week, you waste the team's week. And the same is true in a development process where you're, you know, you're, you're writing code for the wrong thing because you didn't pay attention and you forgot the security layer, whatever the case may be in that case. So Liz, Nirvana basically means you have double the impact in half the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that sure sounds like I'd like more of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and why don't we access it at the moment or any other time is really simple. In the West, we have this really awkward relationship with listening Mm -hmm. and we have an awkward relationship also with silence. And in the West, we call it the pregnant pause, the awkward silence, the deafening silence. Yet in the East or in ancient cultures, whether they're Indian, whether they're in the jungles of South America or Africa, silence is a sign of wisdom, respect and authority. And in that moment where silence is present, or you're asking people to think about something a little bit longer, you cut to the point of the issue much faster. But most of us have a conversation like we're playing the slot machines at Vegas and we're just doing 11% in every conversation and we wonder why we got back-to-back meetings. We got things that it's like we don't have enough time in the day to do the things we need to do because we're doing the things we need to do as opposed to doing the things that matter. When we talk about deep listening, we talk about impact beyond words. And, you know, sometimes the impacts are vast and sometimes the impacts are just broken relationships. 30th of December, 2019, Dr. Lai, he's an ophthalmologist. He works in Wuhan Hospital. He sends a WeChat message to six of his friends saying, I've noticed a SARS-like virus that's really impacting senior citizens. Please keep your family safe. A week and a half later, the Chinese authorities find out about this WeChat, go and visit Dr. Lai and say to him, this is not true. You must recount it. This, This is not possible. And as a result, he recounts. He says, no, what I said was false. And on the 22nd of February, he dies. He's a doctor helping people. He contracts coronavirus himself. We lost three weeks because the Chinese authorities chose to ignore. They didn't listen to Dr. Lai, the ophthalmologist. And for a lot of us, what we don't realise is the cost of not listening can be a global pandemic or it can be Mm. a project that's completely off track. We can go back to 2005 and the global financial crisis. Dr Rajan said exactly the same thing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to a group of central bankers and said the global financial system sewerage is like a sewerage system that's backed up and about to explode. You need to pay attention. They all laughed at him. They castigated him. They said he didn't know what he was talking about. And because he was a Indian vegetarian who wasn't classically trained as a central banker, they chose to ignore him. And yet we can laugh 
at this or we can be judgmental about these things. But in our workplaces, we choose to ignore the opinions of people from different cultures, different professions, from different backgrounds, from ourselves. They might use slightly different language to ourselves. So the choice in not listening to people is just as costly as in the choice of listening to people and then ignoring them as well. So be careful mm-hmm. who you do listen to and who you don't listen to is the point of those two stories. That's some really good advice. Well, and I think that at the end, if I think about this meeting nirvana that we've created, it sounds like what happens is everyone leaves the room on the same page. Like ultimately what happens is that there's collaboration, some kind of agreement or at least agreement on deliverable. And then everyone goes away feeling secure about what they need to do versus, well, I think they want me to run this report. I'm not sure I'm going to do it anyway, just to cover my butt. And then that never sees the light of day kind of thing. I remember being in a very narrow meeting room, very dusty. Have you ever been into those meeting rooms where the chalk dust from the whiteboard markers is kind of all stuck in there and it looks like a little river of black mud stuck in the Mm -hmm. aisle? And the room air conditioning, there was no natural light in there. There was 15 of us in this meeting room and it was an annual review. And I was working with this technology organization. They've been growing at 30% since they started, but I got brought in because their revenue had flattened. And we'd spoken to the leadership team in this room, all 14 of them. And at 5 to 12, I can remember this very clearly because the lunch was due at noon. And at 5 to 12, we were going through this exercise, which was describe this organization as an animal. And at mm-hmm. 5 to 12, we'd heard for everybody except one person, Elaine, who was sitting at the very edge of the room. And the CEO literally was tapping his finger on the table, pointing to the watch as if to say, I'm really hangry at the moment. I need food and we're going to finish. So let's wrap it up now. And Liz, a lot of the time we have meetings with five, six, seven people, but we don't hear from anybody but the loudest or the most passionate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the chair or the host of the meeting has a crucial role to play in listening to those who aren't speaking up. Don't assume they're just the introverts. They could be just the people who are trying to form the idea. Now, turn to Elaine, and I just reached out my left hand. I didn't make eye contact with her, and I just extended an invitation for her to say what animal she thought this group was. She drew the courage up from inside her, and she looked pretty much down at the table and said, I thought it was obvious. I thought we're a snake. Now, bear in mind, the rest of the room had described the organization as an eagle, an osprey, these fast-moving birds of prey that adapt really quickly and are fast-moving. Kat, I'm curious, when I describe, or when Elaine described a snake, what are the characteristics you attribute to a snake? Well, I see a snake being kind of low to the ground and Mm -hmm. maybe a little wiggly, a little you know, uh, able to turn a curve quickly and and able to move quickly. Mm. But a snake also has, um, you know, maybe not the most positive connotations going back to, you know, biblical stories, right? Yeah. And what are those not so positive connotations? You know, they they cheat, they they mm-hmm. they tell us stories, they they mm-hmm. take us down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Where you're not Liz, supposed but, to go. Where you're not where supposed you're not to. supposed to go. Liz, <laughs> what else for you? What else do snakes mean for you? 
Ah, I hate snakes. You hate um, snakes. Oh God, they're the worst. But um, they're slithery. They're and they're actually dry. But they they sneak. They're like the thing that when if I describe a snake, it's sneaky and it kind of like slithers up right. and you don't see it coming, which is. Ugh. But yeah. it can also it can also shed its skin and mm-hmm. transform itself pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah. We then turn to cat and. <laughs> And then we said to Elaine, tell me more about this snake. And she said, really simply, we've forgotten to shed our skin for our customers, our processes and our systems that we've had in the past are holding us back. A snake senses ahead with its tongue and anticipates what customers need. And in Elaine's culture, she's from China, snakes have a completely different meaning. They don't have a biblical context. Mm -hmm. They don't have a way of perceiving snakes as negative. And the conversation exploded from that point on. And it wasn't till 12.35 that we finished the conversation and started eating. Over the lunch break, the CEO said to me, how did you do what you just did? And I said, the real question you want to ask yourself is, how well do you bring Elaine into a conversation and her ability to synthesize complex conversations into simple communication? And he said, well, she's in finance, so she doesn't count. Mm. (laughs) And it's like, okay, I don't know who made up that rule. Did you make up that rule? I said, I thought everybody at the leadership table is equal. Some people have a finance background. Some people have a sales background. Now, if you go forward in that story, um, they made snakes into beanie toys that became employee recognition awards about anticipation. The snake story became part of their sales proposals about how they anticipate. The snakes became code words for each one of the products that they shipped going mm. forward. <laughs> and and although they didn't get to triple digit growth, they doubled their growth in the next 12 and 24 months. Now, we're not going to say that's because we listened to Elaine, but I think it's because the leadership team started to notice that they weren't leading as a team. They were leading as a bunch of functional experts who were coming to the table with their functional hat on rather Mm -hmm. than trying to do what Elaine did, which was provide a different perspective. And by listening to her, they unleashed a massive untapped potential in the organisation. So Liz, in this nirvana that you mentioned earlier on, a lot of leaders or hosts of meetings or chairs of meetings should simply ask themselves the question, did we hear from everybody in this conversation today? And did they make a contribution? And if they did or they didn't, that's on you as the host. It's not Mm -hmm. on them as a participant. Mm -hmm. You're the leader in the room. But if you role model this listening to what's unsaid, these leaders take that back to their teams and they start to do it as well. Quite often I'm asked, do introverts and extroverts listen differently? And I always say, you know, could the extroverts please put their hands up in the room? And often I have to say, I said, hand up, not stand up, but they're extroverts. <laughs> we're, we're, we're okay with that. And then I say, can the introverts put their hands up? And, and some will, but most introverts won't. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a, if you're a card-carrying member of the introvert community, there's no way you want to be noticed. Mm-hmm. And yet for me, in a group of actors, I'm an introvert. And yet in a room of actuaries, I'm an extrovert. Right. So labels are useful till they're not. So the point I really want to make is 
do you have systems, processes, agendas, mindsets for listening for what's unsaid in team meetings and in one-on-one conversations as well? And if you do, you can unleash that kind of potential inside an organization. Mm-hmm. So smart, so smart. I mean, we talk often, you know, we recently had a, an episode where we talked about the importance of making sure everyone in the meeting is heard. It's just so important, right? It's just so important. And it's not on every leader's radar. But the people that do try to, you know, be aware of who's speaking and who's contributing and try to pull the people out who may not be the first ones to speak are the ones that are going to get a better set of data for the meeting, right? They're going to get better information. Yeah. I really love that you are teaching this stuff to the world because it's just so important. Yeah. And for a little hack for leaders who are hosting these kind of meetings, don't cold call on people if they haven't spoken up and go, well, what do you think on this topic? You know, you haven't spoken up. Yeah. You know, that's not the way to ask, Mm -hmm. but you could ask in an abstracted way to simply say, what are the themes you're noticing in this conversation that we might not be, or what are the themes we haven't explored? So if you if you invite them into the space at a thematic level, you engender trust because then they don't feel judged by their idea. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people speak last, and sometimes that's viewed as almost being something that feels like a hand grenade thrown in at the last minute. And it can kind of derail the meeting. So, you know, everybody's kind of chatting at the beginning of the meeting and 50% of the way into the meeting, you finally ask that person who's a great synthesizer of ideas and they say, oh, well, I think we've had a really interesting conversation, but what would a customer say right now? Mm-hmm. And everybody goes, oh, we haven't even thought about the customer. And it feels like the meeting's been a complete waste of time as opposed to a really skillful host curating a conversation where they bring that person in at the 20-minute mark or the 20% of the way through the conversation. Mm-hmm. And they say, have we considered the customer's perspective? And everybody goes, oh, no, let's discuss that now. And at the 20-minute mark of a one-hour meeting, you can do that. There's time, right? There's Mm -hmm. time to explore Mm -hmm. these possibilities. But again, when we're not listening to what's unsaid, we're missing 89% of most conversations. And the same is true, by the way, when you're uh, looking to recruit great staff. So let's talk about recruiting for a minute because you have a little bit of experience there. And uh, tell us what you look for and, and what you do in the recruiting process that maybe unique. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's unique, but I I never had a problem, Liz, with talent pipelines. And (laughs) my peers got really frustrated with me because my time to hire was days, Mm -hmm. you know. Job recs, don't worry about that. We already had that sorted out. And again, people would love the way our team was thinking about the customer all the time. So we used to get these very standard playbooks from the corporate office. This is how you communicate with your customers. And we'd go, okay, let's read them. And then let's go and show that to a customer. (laughs) So what, what happened was I would attract a lot of people well before the recruitment process started going, hey, you know, we want to be part of your team, Oscar. We like what you stand for. And I'd go, great. Today's not the day for the chat. But what I want you to do, go and listen to a couple of customers and tell me something I don't know. And all of a sudden, 
that would sift out my pipeline of talent really quickly. There were people who took the challenge seriously and there were people who just went, oh, I've got a day job and, and away I go. And for me, it was the conversation that they had with the customer and then the conversation they had with me that really quickly gave me an insight is, do they get it? <laughs> or are they going through the motions? Mm -hmm. So one of the things as a hiring manager I was always looking for was proactivity. One of the biggest challenges, I always say to first-time people managers, your biggest challenge is not your people. Your biggest challenge is the minute somebody chooses to move and you have to fill that gap because the time to hire is one of the most critical productivity moments for you as a leader because the longer it is, the more you've got to fill that role and you get into a death spiral mm -hmm. that you move back to an individual contributor in that moment. And that's not productive for anybody. So for me, it was always asking people the question, tell me something I don't know that you've learned from a customer. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, tell me one thing I'm doing wrong as a leader. Hmm. And what it taught me then was how do people deal with potential conflict situations where they actually have to speak up and tell truth to power? Mm. So if they weren't comfortable doing that, that's okay. It might be a coaching moment for me to go, you know, one of the things I struggle with is the detail. Mm -hmm. And I'm great on the big picture, mm -hmm. but, you know, I struggle getting there. So what advice would you give me about closing the gap in terms of processes there? And throw them a bone, give them mm -hmm. a chance. Mm -hmm. But most people didn't have a problem telling me what I could improve because they knew that was a question they were going to get from me as well. And that's not a formal interview process. Mm -hmm. In a formal interview process, one of the biggest questions I always ask people, and it used to drive me nuts in the early days when external people would come in. And the first thing I would say is, so tell me what's wrong with our products. Mm -hmm. And they haven't even used them. They haven't even gone and visited the website. Mm -hmm. It's like, come on. Oh. Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, what's going on? Liz is, Liz is lit wow, up like wow. a Christmas tree wow. right now. I mean, one of my clients is an open source product. So I talk to a developer or I talk to a developer advocate or I, you know, someone who's technical, obviously the recruiter, I'm never going to download it. I've been working with them for almost two years, mm. but <laughs> if your job would be working on the product and the product is free at a click and you didn't think to maybe click before we talked, same when they ask me like, who are the investors? I'm like, uh, did you Google investors and Pulumi? Because that gives you the answer. It drives me nuts. Like, I don't need you to be an expert on the product or the company, but I need you to have taken five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, just to have shown a little bit of interest, right? Even, even a little bit of interest can make a difference. To show now, if it's right for you. Mm -hmm. Like, would I want to work there? For those externals, I was kind of brutal. And I said, mm -hmm. well... Uh, I'm going to give you another chance, but we're going to have to reschedule this interview because there is no way we can have a real conversation if you haven't gone mm -hmm. and spent some time with the product. Sure. Now, most people thought they blew the interview at that point in time, and that's not true. A lot of people just would say to me or to the recruiter, I'm probably not the right person. But there were other people who would go back and do the work and come back mm -hmm. and eventually get hired. But the other thing was I was often asked to be on the interview loops for other managers because I used to get right down into, you know, uh, behavioral questions were interesting for me, not 
I was mm-hmm. down at the next level. It's like, okay, so if that happened and you learned that, tell me what you're doing differently now, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. not yep. some speculative theoretical answer. It was like, so knowing, knowing that the code didn't scale, what, what have you implemented in your code right now to make the code scale? Mm-hmm. And again, you know, Liz, 80% of the people just, uh, blah, 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 and 20% go, you know, we put these processes in place, we did mm-hmm. these code reviews, and as a result, we tested this and, and it's made a massive difference. Yep. And, and it was those people who got it. And the ones who couldn't make sense of how they applied their learning, you know, in we've moved from the industrial economy to the information economy. We're now in the imagination economy where we have to reimagine every day. And your ability to learn, unlearn and relearn is the only skill you have anymore because Mm -hmm. the domain changes, whatever software you use changes, but it's your ability Mm -hmm. to learn, unlearn and relearn. And most people don't think of that middle step to unlearn. Mm -hmm. There's a really critical listening step because a lot of us have a lot of stuff that gets in our way because we feel like we're holding on to old assumptions as well. So mm-hmm. it's critical to unlearn before you can learn new things as well. And then it's that application that I was always listening for mm-hmm. in the interview. Mm-hmm. I think that's so great. Although I have to say, like, I'm stuck with the, like, what was I doing wrong question? Or what do I do wrong? Or what could I do better when they don't know you very well? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they may not have seen you mess up yet. Like, wouldn't that be a better question for someone who's been on your team for a year, like in their first year review? Oh, Liz, what assumption is sitting behind your question? I'm just thinking about the person sitting there in an yeah. interview. Yeah. And they're and internal. Then, oh, they oh, are internal. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's okay. not an external, external question. That's not, oh, okay. so well, that's then take internal. my that's, question. Okay. Chuck it. That's yeah. different. I'm thinking of the external candidates. Like, yeah. I don't know. I met no. you five minutes ago. I got nothing. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Yeah. Internal, internal, forget it. Question. They've yeah. got, they know your baggage. They're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, lots of baggage. I got luggage. I got a <laughs> semi-trailer full of the stuff. That's the beauty of being human, Oscar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't pretend to be a perfect listener. I just mm-hmm. notice when I get distracted faster than anybody else, I think, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to listening. Not that, uh, and you in your book, you talk about four different styles of listeners or four different types yeah. of listeners. Can we yeah. maybe go a little deeper into that? Yeah. So there's four villains of listening, and mm-hmm. we've got a research database of 1,410 people. We've been tracking now for two and a half years. What are the barriers that get in their way? Cat, when it comes to their listening. So as you hear these four villains of listening, think about the one you relate to the most out of these four. So there's four villains. They're called the dramatic listener, the interrupting listener, the lost listener, and the shrewd listener. And I'll spend a bit of time with each of them. So the dramatic listener loves listening to your story because it creates a theater on which they can become an actor. Oh, your boss you think your merger's going so bad? Let me tell you about my merger and how bad it is. <laughs> oh, you think your boss is a micromanager? Let me tell you about the micromanaging boss I've had. Mm-hmm. And on and on it goes. And this plays out in social context, not just work oh, context. Sure does. As well. sure the, does. <laughs> the research is grounded in the workplace. That's mm-hmm. the primary purpose of the research. So dramatic listener. 
The next one is the interrupting listener. They're the quiz show contestant that presses the buzzer before the question's out and they mm -hmm. answer the wrong question straight away. They're trying to be helpful, though. The interrupting listener is coming from a place of problem-solving and being purposeful. They're trying to be helpful, mm -hmm. but in doing so, they're not listening completely. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, then we have the lost listener. Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of turn up to a meeting, they're a bit vague, they drift in and out of the conversation, you have this look on their eye, and they might be distracted by a cell phone, they might be mm -hmm. distracted by a tablet, they might be distracted by the person delivering coffees, they might be distracted by the sounds of the birds in the conversation, they can get distracted and lost about anything. And bear in mind, you you will have all elements of these listening villains in your makeup. It just depends on your context because listening is situational, it's relational, and it's contextual. We'll spend a bit of time talking about that too. The fourth listening villain is the shrewd listening villain. They've got their hand on their chin. They've got their ear tilted to the right. They're nodding really carefully at everything you're saying. But if there was closed captioning about what's going on in their mind and it was visible to you, it would sound something like this. Oh my goodness, you think that's your problem? That is so basic. Oh, you are so lucky to be in my presence. I am <laughs> expert in this field. Not only can I solve that problem for you, I've got a pipeline full of candidates just like that, but there are three or four other things that you haven't even thought about. I'm going to be so awesome for you as you nod and say, mm-hmm. So what shall we discuss first? So that's a shrewd listener, disproportionately represented in medical professions, brief-taking <laughs> professions, sales professions, and recruiting professionals <laughs> also as well. So I'm going to go to Kat first. Which one did you relate to? And then Liz, tell me which one you related to the most. So Kat, which one of those villains did you relate to the most? You know, I'd like to think that I'm a recovering lost listener. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I still find myself needing to practice the tools that I know that help keep me focused. Yeah. And for you, Liz? I'm from the Northeast and I'm an interrupter. <laughs> <laughs> I got to keep the conversation moving and let's solve it. Let's go, 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 go. And uh, that happens all the time. Yeah. And I work you know. on it and I'm very mm -hmm. aware of it. And I literally sometimes put my tongue on the top of my mouth. To yep. stop myself from doing it. Yeah. And for me at work, I'm a shrewd listener and at home, I'm a lost listener. And <laughs> just being conscious of your preferences or what your biggest barriers are when it gets into the way of your listening. No matter which one of those four listening villains is your primary listening villain, the database and the research tell us this very simple fact. 86% of us are distracted either mm -hmm. by ourselves or by the content. Mm -hmm. So distraction, by far the biggest barrier to listening. And it's not even about the speaker. We haven't even got to the speaker yet. Mm -hmm. That's why level one listening is listening to yourself. Most of us have too many browser tabs open up mm -hmm. in our own mind when we yeah. come to the conversation that we have a buffer overflow and our memory is full. We can't actually process the conversation. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of us, three simple tips to double and triple your listening productivity. Tip number one, 
be careful. I may sound like a drug intervention <laughs> clinic here when I say this. So if you feel like you're going to go cold turkey, don't worry. I've got some other moves for you. <laughs> Tip number one, switch your cell phone off. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything that buzzes, beeps, notifies you, a Slack channel, uh, a notification from a chat window, any of those things, switch them off if you're going to get into a conversation. And if the conversation is via Zoom, then make sure there's nothing on the right side of your page or your other monitor that is going to distract you. This is really critical. If you can reduce those things, if you can't switch your cell phone off, switch your cell phone to flight mode. If you can switch it, if you can't go to flight mode, go to silent mode. And if you can't go to silent mode, switch the notifications off. Now, I know a lot of you out there are getting jittery and going cold turkey and going, I need to multitask, I need to be very important, I need to be fast. Yeah, sorry. Here's the good news and the bad news. Complex creative and collaborative tasks like a job interview, like software development, like any kind of presentation that you want to create with another human being, even if that's the person receiving it, uses the front of the brain that's got working memory in it and MRI scans tell us you can't task switch at the front of the brain. You can if you're doing robotic tasks like driving a car or chopping up vegetables and shouting at your kids to switch the TV down or whatever the case may be. The neuroscientists I've interviewed and a couple of professors of attention, they literally study it, go the minute you task switch at the front of your memory, the productivity stops on that task you're working on right now. Now you can flip in between those really quickly and head fake yourself into the fact that you're being productive, but there is actually a cost to doing that and you're at least a third less productive while you're task switching. Forget about the task itself. So for a lot of us, just switching off those distractions and liberating ourselves to go, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry if a text message or what, is that email coming for that approval? And Kat, Liz, right now, for those people listening on the podcast, it's happening right now. Despite mm -hmm. how well I spoke about distractions, <laughs> they're distracted right now too. So welcome back from your distraction. You might have been running. You might have been mowing the lawn. You might be listening while you're cooking. But welcome to the biggest problem of listening. 83% of us think we're above average car drivers. 84% of us think we have above average IQ and 85% of us think we are above average listeners, mm -hmm. despite the fact we don't know how. So tip number one, just figure out how to get rid of those distractions. Tip number two, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain, 5% of body mass, yet it consumes 26% of blood sugars. So have a glass of water every half an hour if you can drink water. You're going to be miles ahead because it's going to get the blood sugars to the brain the fastest. And then finally, Liz talked about it before where she had her tongue on the roof of her mouth. If you notice you're distracted, simply take in one, two or three deep breaths. Mm -hmm. The deeper you breathe, the deeper you listen. You're getting oxygen into the system. And if you notice you're distracted, in through your nose, down the back of your throat, down to the bottom of your lungs and out of the diaphragm and out through your mouth. Now, you don't have to sound like an Olympic weightlifter when you do that breathing. You can do it as I've just done it right then and you didn't even hear me. But getting the body 
into a reset position, which breathing does for us. That's why the ancients, whether that's yoga, Pilates or anything else, will teach you the importance of breath because it helps to control the central nervous system, which will send a signal to the brain. Everything's okay. Pay attention to this Mm -hmm. conversation. If I was going to go on to a telephone call or a Zoom when I'm applying for a job, one of the very first things I would do is switch off all my devices. Five minutes before the call, I would drink a glass of water and I would close my eyes for a minute while sitting in the chair, take three deep breaths and go, what's my intention for this call? Then play your favorite song and then get ready to dial into the call and you'll be in a completely different state of mind than if you're just jumping from meeting to meeting. Mm -hmm. It's great advice. So I want to kind of go on the first thing. Well, I think it was the first thing that you said around the productivity paradox. And I'm a mom who runs her own business Mm. right now. We're in quarantine still. I'm, I've got a homeschool happening. And so I really try to be present in all my calls. I really try to be present in my work. I want to be that way, but I mean, when school's normal at three Oh five, I have to leave. I have to go. If the school calls, I have to switch gears. If Mm -hmm. someone's screaming about not getting on their zoom and they're missing language arts, I gotta go. So I feel like there's just constant distraction. And I always say that my life is Jenga and I've got to put the pieces together. (laughs) And honestly, quarantine has been great because the Jenga is a lot slower of a game, but I'm trying to be present, but I'm also trying to make sure the kid's not on YouTube instead of in math class. And so what are your top tips for getting off the productivity roller coaster and the go, go, go. And how do we set the goal of being focused? And is that even possible for some of us that constantly have conflicting priorities and kind of are wearing multiple hats? Yeah, there's present, which I think you feel right now, Liz, is like some Zen Buddhist monk in the moment. Mm-hmm. And there's pragmatic presence, which yeah. is mm-hmm. the reality of our world. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about pragmatic presence. Mm-hmm. Hi, guys. Just letting you know that I'm joining the call today, but in the background, what's going on for me is kids and school and this timetable. And if the dog suddenly jumps across the table, it's because the kids have let the rabbit out of the cage and it's all going on at my house. So the big tip right now is um, for a lot of people, their workplace is their home place. Mm-hmm. And the home place is their workplace, and they mightn't have a dedicated area to do this in. I've been doing team meetings with clients where they're sharing the dinner table with kids or they're sharing the dinner table with their parents because they're still living at home, as an example. Mm -hmm. So the number one tip is make the implicit explicit. Mm -hmm. Say, as you're coming into the call, this is what's going on for me in my world. Because what that does is it mirrors the physical environment. If somebody walks into a meeting room with a set of crutches on and a moon boot, you're going to help them out. At the moment, if you had a set of crutches and a moon boot in this call, we wouldn't know. So you need to make the implicit explicit. Mm -hmm. Um, Earlier this week, uh, on Sunday, we're recording this on a Thursday in in Mm. your time. My mother-in-law passed away at 93. Mm. She lived a beautiful Mm. life and it was her time to go and she peacefully passed away in her sleep. 
But we had to organize people all around the world mm. to participate in a funeral via video conference. Mm. Every single person from Monday to Wednesday when the funeral was on, when I was interacting with them, that was the first thing I would say to them. Look, I just need you to know this is what's just happened for me and my family. My focus is on mm. my wife and her family right now. So if I appear a bit distracted, that may be the reason. You have my complete and other attention right now, but I just want you to know that's what's going on in the background for me. I love the transparency. Yeah, we're all struggling with that. So that's the thing that we assume, and that's going to translate into the physical world too, Kat, is, is this transparency, mm -hmm. because I don't think enough of us do that, you know. You can walk into a physical meeting and, and so I would have said exactly the same thing in a physical mm -hmm. meeting, by the way. Mm -hmm. But I think, and I'm just going to push back a bit, like as a mom and as someone who wants people to hire them, I, I want people to hire me for my expertise. And if they're like, oh, but she's a mom first and her husband travels and, you know, all of a sudden they may see reasons not to hire me because, you know, I'm juggling two worlds and my kids are my priority and I don't make, I don't hide that, but I also don't lead with that. Yeah, well, you're not going to do that on the first sales call, the first thing you say. But Liz, you would say, if you're making a sales call this tomorrow, your time, mm -hmm. you, you might go, hey, you know, right now we're juggling a lot of things at home. Mm -hmm. um, how are you guys going juggling things mm -hmm. at home? And mm -hmm. you might find out that they got a working mum in their mm -hmm. home too. And mm -hmm. that might be the reason you do make the sale rather than yeah. the reason you don't make the mm -hmm. sale. Yeah. So sometimes in our always and our nevers, so here's a really good cue if you're a hiring manager and you hear people use the phrase always, never. If you listen for absolutes, you're hearing assumptions that are probably false. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to throw it back to you, Liz, and go, I reckon that's a completely false assumption and it's just how you package it. And it could be the reason why you make sales rather than the reasons you mm -hmm. don't. Yeah, and I, I don't hide it. And yeah. if someone asks, I lead it and I put the kids into the conversation and the dogs are always barking if I'm making a sales call because that always <laughs> happens. Um, so it's not hidden, but it's also not my greatest asset. But, you know, my hours are my hours and this is what it is. And if you don't want that, then you shouldn't hire me. And yeah. And I think the world's moved on, Liz. I yeah. think that, that's true in the past. I think what people are willing to accept right now is mm -hmm. Jamie Oliver filming cooking courses on his iPhone and publishing sure. that on Facebook Live and getting as many people engaging in that as a highly polished post-production, cinematic quality, mm -hmm. beautiful slow motion of the Parmesan cheese being grated <laughs> on the pasta sauce, you know. Yeah. Those days have gone, you know. Wave them goodbye. So long, farewell, as Vita's and good night. You know, we're, we're moving forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. And this may be the new normal. And I don't think anybody is worried about that. I think mm -hmm. it's the people who try and pretend that they've got it all buttoned down and they mm -hmm. all got it figured out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, clients ask me how I'm going. I always say, right now I'm flip-flopping between figuring it out and freaked out. How about mm -hmm. you? Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, that's a nice way to say it. I said, yeah, I can have that in the same thought. Don't worry about the same day. Yeah. I think the ability for us to connect now is going to be very different. I was talking to a client last week who had a beautiful piece of art from Mexico 
I would never have got to find out that they'd spent three months in a Mexican art collective. And he told me about this lady who helped him create this piece of art. And it created a conversation about how do they bring that creativity from a Mexican art colony into the way they're working right now and how how do they be creative? Mm -hmm. Now, I couldn't have done that if I was in their office. So I think it opens up as many opportunities as it closes down for us right now. I just think we need to be open to it. And I think quarantine has done that, Mm. that the curtain is back. Everybody's at home. And so we're seeing people in their home element versus their button at work. It's merged. And for those of us who have worked from home forever, it feels weird almost. It's like, Mm -hmm. but yes, this is my home office, but I don't like scream that I'm not in an office. Usually now everybody knows. So everybody's in their home office. And heck, this week I've been working outside because we're fostering puppies. And so how do puppies not go to the bathroom in your house? You keep them outside. So I'm taking video calls on my porch and it's okay. And nobody cares. And everyone wants to see the puppies because they are so cute. They are delicious. I think bringing a little bit of humanity into the workplace is one of the advantages that this is forcing us to do a little bit more Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's your competitive advantage always. If you're always yourself, no Mm -hmm. one can copy you. That's right. Mm -hmm. And if you show up fully self-expressed, this is what I used to say to staff in the workplace and what I say Mm -hmm. to my clients now, you are amazing. Just keep being more of you. Stop. Mm -hmm. Stop trying to put a mask on that you think other Mm -hmm. people want to see. You'll be shocked Mm -hmm. what happens if you just show up being you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite stories about when my husband was at his last uh, full-time job, one of his MBOs was just to be John Troyer. Your biggest goal is to be more of who you are, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great MBO is that? Yeah, Yeah, sounds like an amazing manager he had also. He was a very smart manager, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I love that goal. Yeah, yeah. But I, that's, I mean, wouldn't that be great if that could be all of our MBOs? I guess we could we could just have it be our own MBO without the company. Yeah. You know, right? right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what, well, that's what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are, probably <laughs> one of the longest pieces of silence that we've had on the show. I'm just trying to... I'm trying to figure out where we go here. What else can we, you know, we've got notes here that we had prepared Mm -hmm. uh, and we've completely strayed off of them, but it's been better than the notes. No, I mean, Liz, your notes were fabulous. Don't, don't take that the wrong way. I think talk about silence. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. The importance of silence. Oscar, tell us a little bit more about your thoughts about that. So silence is really critical when you understand the 125-900 rule. Silence allows the speaker's mouth to catch up with their brain. Mm -hmm. In that moment of pause, what will often happen is, Liz and Kat, tell me if this has ever happened for you. If you just pause like we did then, Mm -hmm. um, didn't feel awkward for me Mm -hmm. at all. It just felt like a really human point at which we like, yeah, now's a good time to pause. Mm -hmm. But if you pause in a conversation, what tends to happen is the speaker will do this. They'll sigh. You will literally see their body state change and they'll go, hmm, you know what we should talk about that we haven't? Or they'll say, actually, what I think we need to talk about now is, or they'll say, 
honestly, the most important thing we need to talk about going forward is, right? And if we pause long enough as the leader in the dialogue, now that could be one, uh, a one-on-one situation or a group setting. If we have our confidence as the person leading that conversation, the listener, just to pause, allow their mind to catch up, unless the person you're talking to is Robert De Niro or Meryl Streep who have rehearsed their lines and they know exactly what they're going to say. So for everybody else who doesn't (laughs) work with Robert De Niro and, and Meryl Streep, Um, This tip's for you. For the rest of you, you can just fast forward 90 seconds in the podcast. That silence gives them an opportunity to go back into their brain. And the brain is like a washing machine on wash cycle. It's very agitated. It's very sudsy. It's very dirty. And when it's agitated, it's actually not making progress. It just feels like it keeps moving in exactly the same spot. And the act of speaking is like a rinse cycle. It gets all the clean thoughts out of their mind and gets it expressed. And we start to play with the next 125 words and the next 125 words. And rarely do you need to do more than two more rounds with silence that you get to the part of the conversation that matters. Mm. If you use silence, you know, what I often find with my clients is when, when I use silence, they go into themselves. You can, you can see them mentally move and shift a gear and go, what matters to me in this moment? What do I need to actually express? Not this superficial blah, blah, blah that I think this other person wants to hear. What matters to me? What's going to make sense for me? What meaning can I make from this conversation that gets to the really essence of what we do? And that's why silence is so potent. It's in in Japan and Korea particularly, it's not uncommon for the leader in a room to pause in up to five minutes of silence as they collect their thoughts themselves and for the room. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been in a conversation with anybody from North America or or Europe where there's been five minutes of silence. Mm I was just, I was imagining being in a room in a meeting with five minutes of silence that the group wasn't prepared to to have to deal with. And I just can see people being so uncomfortable, right? I can... Yeah. And yet it's the most natural thing mm-hmm. it is. you can do, you know, in the Inuit tribes of North America, in the Aboriginal tribes of, of Australia, in the Maori traditions mm-hmm. of the Pacific Islands. It's not uncommon for the tribal leaders to bring their groups together and go for silent conversations that take place over hours and and that's how they bring their community together so for all of us the silence is that moment that we get to hear what matters rather than what's said and that's a gift both right. for the listener and the speaker right right well, and it's also so great in an interview or in a HR conversation, person says their answer that they think they're going to say, and then you just wait. And then they say the real answer, or they give you more detail, <laughs> or they tell you what you need to know, but giving that silence, like you're not quite finished, shows them that they need to 
open to the next level. And I think that that, I mean, that works with my kids. That works with mm-hmm. all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. You just give them that space and they will fill it probably yeah. with what you wanted them to answer when you first asked the question. Or not even what you wanted them to answer, but what they needed to say. Mm -hmm. uh, February 2019, I was in a hotel in the CBD of Sydney and I was working with 15 medtech recruiters. And um, we we talked about this exact topic, the role of silence. And people were saying, well, I can't be silent. I'm doing back-to-back 30-minute screening interviews. I haven't got time for the silence. The silence. Mm -hmm. Anyway, a guy who was an interstater, he, he came up to me at the break. He goes... Yeah, I'm going to try that silence thing. Uh, And I said, great, call me next week. Tell me how you Mm. go. Mm -hmm. And he called me two weeks later and he says, it's completely transformational. My 30-minute screening calls are now much shorter and people are just being honest with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, you know, have you got an example of how that showed up? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, one person, I simply asked, I'm curious why you've applied for this interview. And he gave that, you know, when I work for this blah, 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 and this is the role and it's my future and all of that. And he just paused and the candidate then said, look, I'll be really honest with you. I would take any role to work for this organisation, but if you don't think this is the right role for me, I just want to let you know I want to work for this organisation. And can I give you a bit more about my background? Which spawned a completely different conversation to another open position that wasn't published yet. Mm -hmm. and that that candidate interviewed and was successful for that role. So it's good for the candidate. It's good for the Mm -hmm. recruiter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, Oscar, we could talk to you for about 17 more hours, but it's <laughs> evening here. You, It's morning there, so you probably have other things to do today. So thank you so much. And in summary, like one you know, quick advice, what is the best advice you give to people at all levels who want to be better listeners? Just pause and take the time to listen to what's not said. The easiest way to do that, switch off your devices, drink a glass of water mm-hmm. and have take a deep breath. And if you want to learn more and find out which listening villain you are, just visit listeningquiz.com and you can find out in a really playful way with a very tailored action plan, depending on which listening villain you are, mm-hmm. how to practice every day for the next 90 days to move from a distracted listener to a deep and meaningful listener. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we wrap up, tell us what you want us to know about your book. And then Liz and I will share a bit too. And where people can find you as well, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your handles and things. Yeah, look, I just want to make it simple for them and they can go to listeningquiz.com. That's the simplest thing to do. So, And I just wanted to say, I really, I really like the cards and uh, haven't had a chance to dig into them yet, but I'm going to start with the first suit the, yeah. you know, the, the individual suit. So I, I just really like the way that you, you know, you organized that and made the material just so digestible. So mm-hmm. even for a manager to be able to practice deeper listening with their team that they're going to change their retention. You know, it, I mean, people just want to be heard and people want to be able to feel like their manager hears them. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what keeps people in jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, funny story about the playing cards, Kat. The 
<laughs> sales director of an organization I worked with had a new hire come in and what they did every sales meeting, they picked a card to work on. And when you see the packaging of, of the books and the playing cards, it kind of looks like a little Bible. And <laughs> uh, the new hire came in and everybody had their little box with them. And he completely freaked out because he thought he'd joined a cult. Uh -huh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They pulled out a card, which was at level three, about listening for the context. And what he noticed completely changed his mind. And, and the manager rang me up to get a, a book box for him. Mm. But in this, in this card, which was asking, asking a question about context, they were able to unlock two sales opportunities because they realized they weren't listening to everybody involved in the approval process. Mm. And that new hire went from a skeptic to a convert in a matter of uh, about five minutes when it comes to the playing cards. But those playing cards have been used in prisons. They've been used by school principals. They've been used by leaders in organizations from pharmaceutical to financial services. So, yeah, the, the cards really create a really tangible way for people to make an abstract topic really practical for them. Love that. Fantastic. Love that. I might even uh, bring them into one of my clients that I'm working with right now. So thank you so much. It's just been such a pleasure to talk with you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> This is Real Job Talk, a podcast about jobs, careers, and what's not said at the water cooler. Our website with all Real Job Talk related information is realjobtalk.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us your questions, topics you'd like to talk about, and Real Job Talk stories. And you may find them featured on a future episode. Use the website or email us at realjobtalk at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at realjobtalk. And on Instagram and Facebook at Real Job Talk Show. My name is Kat Troyer. You can find me on Twitter at Daily Cat, And on LinkedIn, you can find me via Kathleen Nelson Troyer. And I'm Liz Bronson. On Twitter, I'm at Liz Beaks and Salt. And on LinkedIn, I'm Liz Bronson. Real Job Talk is a tech reckoning production. Our producer is John Mark Troyer. Our graphic artists are Lexi and Zachary Bronson. And we're here by the water cooler waiting to talk with you. <laughs>